Good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Resurrection City Church. Am I on? No? Nick says yes, you guys say no. Can you guys hear me now? You hear me now? You guys remember that old commercial where that guy would always say that? No. Okay, good. Whoa. You guys hear that? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to Red City. Uh, my name is Joel. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're really thankful. It's our, it's our birthday, uh, like we've been talking about, and this is super exciting. It's, it's been four years, um, and that is, that is really awesome. Um, it feels like it's been 10 years because 2020 felt like five years. Um, but it's, it's really, really cool. And a lot's happened, and we've, we've grown and changed, but I think in a lot of ways, and, and what I, what I want to talk about in the sermon today a little bit is kind of the stuff that we've seen kind of present throughout all four years, and just kind of celebrate that, acknowledge it, and kind of tie it to our, our series today. Um, l- let me pray real quick, and then we'll hop into that. Lord, thank you for your, your spirit, your presence being with us, um, not just this morning as you are every Sunday with us in a church, not just in our, in our community groups when we gather or when we get together in, in different ways, Lord, throughout the week, um, but constantly throughout the life of this church, Lord, um, you've been with us. Your spirit has been present in our midst, and, and we are what we are because of that, and we thank you for that today, Lord. Help our, our thanks to be worship to you, God, today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in a series um, called Walking by the Spirit, and we're talking about uh, what it means for us to cultivate a sensitivity to the Spirit of God in our everyday lives uh, for the purpose of, of God's life filling ours with wisdom. Okay, I'm going to use this. You guys hear me? Okay. I sound, I feel like I can actually hear myself now. Um, Okay, so um, we're talking about what it looks like for God's life to fill ours with wisdom, with guidance, with hope, with growth, with power, all these different things that we see in Scripture when we see the Spirit of God coming on a group of people. And last week, Krista talked about connecting with the Spirit in prayer, and she talked about these essential elements of humility and thankfulness. And on that topic of thankfulness today, we're celebrating our birthday. And so we're going to try to connect this series with kind of that celebration uh, today. Um, Now, I think it's always interesting to see how people choose to celebrate their birthday. Um, Like when you're a kid, it's like the Super Bowl, right? It's like kind of the thing you're waiting for all year. You're just, you can't wait for the party, for the gifts, all that stuff. Um, But something happens, I don't know, somewhere somewhere in college maybe where the, your birthday quits being a big deal when you become an adult. And most adults don't make a big deal out of it. So like I know people who like, they will hide their birthday from you. Like they will not put it on social media. If you ask them, they won't say it. And if you do figure it out and just try to even say happy birthday to them, they get like mad at you. I don't know if you know anyone like that. Um, I do think it's funny though. Occasionally you do find adults who, uh, you know, get really into their birthday. Um, I had a friend in college, and he, like, he he had this thing called birthday week, and he he was he was his own idea. No one came up with it. It was all him, and he would kind of guilt you into taking him out to eat every day. For he would try to find different people who would like take him out for meals, and he he knew it was a little exploitative, and he did not care at all. 
Um, other times you see kind of crazy stuff. Like this is kind of a famous or maybe like a little bit more infamous one. Vikings, former Vikings running back Adrian Peterson for his 30th birthday. He, uh, he rode in on a camel into his birthday. Um, it was a little, little bit over the top maybe. Um, we don't have camels today for our birthday, but we are going to be trying to celebrate. I, I think it's important for us to not diminish what God has done in the life of our church, right? I think it matters for God that we reflect that back to him in praise and celebration, but I think it matters for us that, that we, we do this so we can be energized and we can be reminded of what God has done in our midst, because that kind of you know, transforms our hearts as we move forward, as we look back and celebrate. And that's where this, this kind of connects with our series today. I got an email from one regular attender recently here at Rest City, and it meant a lot to me to read this, um, not just to see it, it, it's someone whose opinion I trust on this as well. And, and they said, you know, at Res City, I sense the presence of the Lord constantly. That was really cool to read. Um, it really, really was cool to read. Because I do that too. I, I notice that as well. And, and, and I think we should be celebrating. As we talk about uh, walking by the Spirit, we should be celebrating that the Spirit is, has been in our midst. And so um, today I want us to talk about that. And as we do, I want to talk about what it looks like for us to maybe continue to grow in our ability to follow the Spirit together as a church. So today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to cultivate sensitive, sensitivity to what the Spirit has done uh, here at Res City. And to do that, I want us to focus on a group of people in Scripture. It's actually the church at Antioch. Um, and, and what we see when we look at Antioch is this, the, in this church, is, is, is uncommon, right? And I think that alerts us to the fact that when the Spirit of God shows up in a group of people, uncommon things are what you should expect, what you should see happening. So we're going to talk about what kind of uncommon, spirit-fueled things we see in this church at Antioch. And I want us to kind of connect uh, as we do that, as we kind of learn about this church in Antioch and, and talk about what we see there, kind of try to make some connections to stuff they think we have seen in our own midst at Rest City. And then maybe talk a little bit about what it could look like for us to grow in that, to continue to see the spirit uh, moving in our midst. Okay, so here's what we learned. I'll, I'll kind of state it from, from the top here. And I want to put it into that language that Julie was talking about that we're trying to use more here at Res City, this no, grow, go uh, together um, idea. So what we see at, at, at Antioch is, is in the no piece in, in um, you know, how their minds are being transformed or renewed as they're being made new in their minds, being Christians, being Christians. We'll talk about what that actually means in a church body setting, in grow, uh, in, in these, you know, these growth in, in holiness and character traits. We see them being servants. That's what it looks like for them. And then finally, in go, um, being sent. There's a sort of summons that God has called them to do some things, right, that they follow him wherever he leads. And then the together piece is, is just kind of assumed, right, because we're going to be talking about what this looks like for us all do this together. Okay, so let's get into Antioch a little bit. Um, Antioch, it, it, it's not honestly, like it's not a, like a, you know, there's some churches that like people write letters to in the New Testament, so maybe you've heard of those uh, different churches. Antioch is not like that. It's not like we have a letter written to them. They show up in uh, the book of Acts, right? So let me give you a little bit of background on them because you might not have heard much about this church. So um, they would be in modern-day Turkey. That's where this church would be located. And like I said, we learn about them in the book of Acts. They kind of show up a couple of times. Now, the book of Acts, 
has a story that's being told in it. And it's really kind of important as you read the book of Acts to kind of, you know, realize that this is what the goal of Luke, the writer, is trying to do, of sort of telling the story of how the Holy Spirit comes on to these followers of Jesus and expands them from this kind of small group of disciples into what really is kind of a global movement by the end of the book over the course of probably just a few decades. And it's kind of in that way functions as a sequel to the Gospels. Kind of like, okay, Jesus has come. Jesus has done his ministry. Jesus has, uh, you know, he has, he has died. He's been raised again. He's taught us what it looks like to follow him. But what happens next? Now, what does it actually look like for people to live this out? And the book of Acts is telling us that. And the Holy Spirit is incredibly key to that. So at the very beginning of the book of Acts, in, in, in Acts 1-8, Jesus, he's about to leave, he's about to ascend into heaven, and he tells his disciples this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, so these lands of Israel, traditionally, traditional lands of Israel, so it's going to happen here and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so the goal of the Spirit is to take this outside of Israel and to take it everywhere, right? And that kind of functions like the book's thesis statement. Now, Antioch is important because it kind of serves as like a pivotal link between the, 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 the traditional territory of Israel and the rest of the world. And we'll kind of see how that plays out uh, today. But I just want to like to place the importance on this church, right? And I don't feel like I'm being hyperbolic here to say this, but you know, you can literally trace us, mostly non-Jewish people here at Res City, worshiping all the way back to that church in Antioch and every other church all around the world we can thank Antioch for that. It's a very cool, it's a very cool, very pivotal church. And so I want us to kind of highlight the importance of that and we'll talk about how the spirit was, was, was a big part of that. It's the first time we see a church form outside of Jerusalem and it's actually kind of accidental, right? We might call it accidental at least looking at it. So there's this event earlier in the book of Acts, and there's this, you know, the Jesus movement is spreading throughout Jerusalem. It's steadily gaining interest, but kind of tensions are growing in the city. Anytime you have a big movement that is sort of spreading like that, you're bound to have some sort of tensions that flare up, and eventually things blow up, right? There's a guy named Stephen. He's a leader in the church, and he's actually essentially executed by his fellow Jewish people for blasphemy. And after that happens, the authorities kind of go on high alert, trying to stamp out any more growth um, from, uh, you know, what we see with Stephen. And so some of the members of that church in Jerusalem, kind of knowing things are getting kind of dicey for them, decide to just leave town, right? It kind of makes sense. They head out and end up in a bunch of different places, and a bunch of them end up in Antioch, which is about 250 miles north of Jerusalem. And that's where we first start to learn about this church in Acts chapter 11. So let me read verses 19 to 21. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord." So these scattered Jewish uh, Jesus followers, 
they end up in Antioch and they keep inviting other Jewish people to follow Jesus and they make some headway there, but something really unexpected starts to happen as they start to have conversations with other people that live in Antioch. Plenty of non-Jewish people live in the city as well. And as they come into contact with these people, these Greeks or these Gentiles as they're often called, it just means uh, the non-Jewish people essentially, some of these non-Jews start to want to follow Jesus. And so these refugees, you can imagine them being maybe a little bit confused, but also really excited. Okay, clearly God is up to something. Clearly something really cool is coming out of this, this persecution. They thought it was like a real bad th- thing. It's actually now turned into something that God has sort of uh, uh, rescued. He's kind of r- uh, redeemed this horrible event and is actually causing something really unexpected and unique to happen instead. They're witnessing this genuine work of the Spirit of God in their midst, to turn all these people, Jews and Gentiles, into Jesus followers. So what you have is you have this diverse mix of people coming together in this sort of ultimate common purpose to follow Jesus. And it's the first time in the history of the church that Jews and Gentiles are sort of seriously really coming together as a group in mutual worship and discipleship. And we see that God had been behind it all. It had been his desire. Okay, this is uncommon. This is, this is not something that you should have just expected to happen on its own. And they can't really explain it any other way other than to say it was the Lord's hand. Okay, but sometimes when the Spirit moves like this in ways we don't expect, we have to sort of deal with the ramifications of it. It kind of creates some problems that we'll talk about here. All right, so we see that news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So the Jerusalem church kind of catches wind of what's going on, and they send someone to sort of help them figure out, like, okay, what do we do now? What, what are the next steps here? And it's a guy named Barnabas. Now, again, Barnabas is one of these guys where, you know, you maybe haven't heard a lot about Barnabas, but, like, I think he's one of the most underrated characters in the whole Bible. Like, if you could be, like, anyone in the Bible, Barnabas should be on your short list, all right? Um, he is known largely for this one character trait that he has, He's encouraging. Okay, so Barnabas is not actually his name. His real name is Joseph, but Barnabas is a nickname that someone gave him, and it literally means son of encouragement. Okay, can you imagine if, like, someone started calling you son of encouragement or daughter of encouragement? That'd be, you know, that'd be a little interesting, but it just goes to show how, um, you know, how much, who this guy is, right, and why they would send him up there. And, man, we need, we need a lot of Barnabases in the world today, I think. I think we could, we could use that. So aim to be like Barnabas. Now, now something else about Barnabas that is we're told that he is full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit of God. And that's super important because that sensitivity to the Spirit means that he is going to honor God in what God is doing and follow it no matter what it leads, where it leads. That's what it means to be full of faith. Even if it kind of crosses lines between these two groups of people who traditionally don't mix, to create something unique, innovative, new, and totally uncommon. All right, so here's the first thing that we learn from Antioch. The no piece of this is being Christians, being Christians. And we find in in verse 26 that the disciples were first called Christians 
at Antioch. Okay? This thing that we all call ourselves, the first time anyone was called this, is at Antioch. And what they, so what they know about themselves and what is known about them from outside of the church is that they are Christians. Okay? This is uncommon. The, and the reason that they get this name is because you have this group of Gentiles and Jews, okay? People who don't normally mix, pledging allegiance to some guy named Christ. I think a lot of the people outside of this church didn't even really know who that was, okay? But it's a name you would give, you know, in the ancient world to, you know, like a political party actually a lot of times, okay? It like literally means like partisans of Christ. You see other examples of political groups who kind of follow after some leader getting a name like this with the I, I-A-N at the end, okay? But the, the, the whole point of this is that it's not just good branding. It actually gives them unity, okay? It explains how they're going to transcend these differences. And I think it's important we talk about just the challenge of bringing these two groups of people together seriously into this, uh, into this one common group, this one common family that is going to live kind of uniquely and differently than anyone else around them. Because it's not just magically going to happen. It's not some, you know, utopia where everyone magically gets along. I think it's important that we make clear how important and difficult this would have been in the ancient world. Okay? The tensions that you have between Jews and Gentiles in this kind of part of the world, I, I would say that they're about on par with, you know, the political and, and maybe even racial divisions that we see today. Maybe even worse in some instances, right? So you have the normal just kind of, you know, skepticism that groups of people have towards the other, right? So that's baked in. But specifically, Here's some specific things that would have kind of caused division between them. From, from the Jewish side of things, you would look at these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, as oppressors. All right? They had kept Jewish people under their rule for centuries, forcing heavy taxes on them. Right? This had been their uh, history for several centuries, is to kind of be under the boot of people like this. All right? You would see Gentiles, if you were Jewish, as corrupt as having no morals, having uh, tons of examples of this you could point to every day. Uh, you would see them as pagans, as people who had rejected the one true God who had created the world and worshipped idols and said these kind of counterfeit gods that, that Jewish people would sometimes even associate with demons, derogatorily kind of aimed at these Gentiles when they would talk to them. And you start to see a lot of really anti-Gentile rhetoric showing up in Jewish writings around this time. It's some pretty nasty stuff, actually. And we also see these sort of multiple revolutionary movements popping up around this period. And in the book of Acts, we kind of see some hints of this, and it, it, but it's really just kind of showing what a powder keg is there. And in a couple decades later, after the book of Acts, it completely explodes, right? And so stuff has been simmering for a little while, and that's all going on when this church comes together. From the Gentile side of things, though, all right, it's not just the Jews who look skeptically at the Gentiles. Jewish people uh, from the Gentile side of things, you would look at them as odd, kind of weirdos. They did this thing called circumcision, right? And anytime any dude walks into a bathhouse where everyone is sans clothes, um, you would notice it, and, and he would stick out, and you would think, what is, what's up with that guy? Like, why is he mutilating himself like that? All right, you would see them as conceited. You know about Jewish people that they, they don't eat the same food as you, right? They don't eat pork and other things like that. And it seemed to a lot of Gentiles like Jewish people thought of themselves as kind of socially superior 
to everybody else, just better than them, right? You, you know, when you get, you know, you go to like a restaurant with someone and you're like, give me the greasiest, most like worst thing from my heart on the menu. And then someone's like, oh, I don't, I don't eat food like that. And sometimes it makes you feel like really judged, right? Sometimes in how you eat with other people, that's kind of what's going on here. So you would think these people think they're better than me because they don't eat this food, right? And, and I'm eating it here. They must think I'm kind of, I'm pretty lame. Um, sometimes Gentiles would look at Jewish people as lazy, right? Because they had, a, they had one day of the week where they didn't do any work. They just kind of thought they laid around. They, they, some Gentile people called it a lazy day, right? And, and worst of all, this is probably the worst of all these things, you would look at Jewish people as being uh, dangerously unpatriotic, right? Because Jews refused to sacrifice to uh, the kind of local cults. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but the view in the ancient Greco-Roman world was that if you don't give sacrifices to the gods and you don't go to festivals, you are actually making the gods angry and they might like remove their protection from us. Okay? You, you're you're kind of not doing your duty. You're not doing your part to help keep us safe, right? Kind of like we talk about with voting sometimes. You know how sometimes like people are like, if you don't get out and vote, you know, you're going to make the world end because this person's going to get elected and we're all going to be screwed. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like that is how you would view them, all right? So even if some of these things are being kind of reconciled in their belief of Jesus, the tensions are still there. They don't just go away, right? These, st- these stigmas and stereotypes are still going to exist, right? And even today, right? We, you, we know people who will say things like, man, people who view the world differently, differently than me, like, I don't really want to be friends with them. I don't want to go to church with people who think differently, differently than me, right? It's fairly common for people to look at people who are not like them and think, I don't really want anything to do with them, okay? So, but the church in Antioch does not have that luxury to just say no thanks to each other because the Spirit of God had moved. And we see the Spirit gives them a, a sense of shared identity that bridges the gap, that these are Christ people. They're Christians. And for them, elevating Jesus in their hearts through the work of the Spirit gives them a sort of true love for one another, that they're able to bridge to get over these really difficult divides between them as people, right? You can imagine these deep conversations and kind of the skepticism that they might have of each other, but being kind of overcome in really deep love. Now, one of the things that we take really seriously at Res City is bringing together people who do think differently or maybe come from different backgrounds, whether they be uh, racially, theologically, politically, socioeconomically, generationally, right, into a place of actual welcome and unity around nothing other than Jesus, all right? And we know that's tough. This is a world that doesn't do middle spaces very well, okay? But it's, but when something uncommon like that happens, I think we see that the Spirit is at work, and we see that in Antioch, and I really think we see that here at Res City, too. I talked to some different people the last few weeks just asking them, like, hey, where do you feel like, you know, you see the Spirit moving? And a, a lot of them indicated, man, we have some really uncommon unity here at Res City. Like, it feels different than other spaces that I'm a part of or hear about. 
Um, so let me just quote one of them. Um, like I could have quoted a bunch of these, um, but I'll, I'll pick one that I, I felt like they, they put it really elegantly. So here's what he said. There's some, there's some overlap in demographics among a lot of people at Res City, but even when I talk with other Christians in similar bodies of believers, they are often genuinely surprised about the process by which our church was started, has grown, and continues to stay together. I can't think of anyone I've talked to in the last three years that hasn't said that their church has either plateaued, lost people, been divided by some major or minor issue, or have gone through some sort of church split recently. We are relatively young, so I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too good. Okay, be humble. This is good. Um, yet I can't see our church having a massive schism because of political views, societal changes, etc. There is a grace for one another that I think creates real unity in our church. I find this grace most on display when people actually don't agree on things, which for me is some evidence of the Spirit of God on display. I think that's really cool, and that really resonated with me because I feel like, yeah, I see the same thing. And like I said, a lot of people indicated that when I was talking to them. Right? And going further on unity amongst ourselves, I think you know, this matters to point out that we see this in other ways too. So someone else kind of mentioned uh, this about unity that we have, uh, not just with each other as adults, but with, with the children at Res City, who continue, we continue to get more and more of them, and the unity amongst us all is very cool. He said, I think about my kids and how they've grown to love church to this point. Certainly the donuts are part of that, uh, but I, I, I just think the environment, and dare I say the spirit at work, are also part of that too. And one person even pointed out that someone in their community group, okay, because of the kind of these deep bonds that get created in community groups, was prompted by the Spirit to pray specifically for a health concern for their newborn baby without having been told about it. It was just kind of put on their heart by the Spirit. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is really cool stuff, and I think we can't take it for granted. I think we have to celebrate that on days like today, okay? All right, so we have a group of people in Antioch. Let's go back to Antioch. We have a group of people that are very close to one another, very united, very deep, have these deep friendships, we can imagine. But we see that there's more than that, too. It does not just stay there. Uh, things start to come out of that deep unity. All right, so this is the second thing we see is in the grow piece. Where are they growing? How are they becoming more like Christ in being servants? Okay, the Spirit inspires in us a willingness to serve others rather than hoard God's grace, that grace that we receive of true unity when the Spirit moves in our hearts. Okay? The church in Antioch, they had a good thing going, right? They could have just focused on kind of protecting their friendships with one another. Right? They could have become like a real Jesus clique. They could have been this unified group of people. They like to hang out with one another. They take this work of the Spirit, this genuine thing that's happened in their midst, and they just kind of stop there. Right? They're content uh, to keep it for themselves. Or maybe they're afraid. They're terrified. If we do anything to disrupt this, you know, this unity, we're going to lose these deep friendships, and these really matter to me. Right? It would have been easy, you can imagine, for them to kind of hoard that really great move of God's spirit in their midst and keep it for their own benefit, right? That's, that's an easy thing to do. That's, that would be an easy thing to do. But it's not what they do. It's not at all what we do. As we move forward, we see that they are actually willing to use that unity, that closeness, to try to benefit the world around them. So Acts eleven twenty seven to 30. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help 
for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So we see that the Spirit alerts them to a problem through the, through the prophet, through this prophet. It kind of gives them some information, okay? There's going to be a famine, and like you could imagine, they could have used this information to buy, go out and buy freezers, throw them in their basement, load them up with frozen pizzas, and just kind of wait this famine out. Maybe, you know, giving a few pizzas away to people in the church, and, but kind of really just, you know, keeping it for themselves. But instead, they actually go out and they raise money to be sent to Jerusalem to these Jewish people that they don't know so that they could help them as they would be affected by the famine. It's kind of well known that the Jerusalem church, compared to all these other churches we start to see pop up in the book of Acts, was, was much more poor than these other churches in other cities. And so what we see is God's concern for these people becomes, through the Spirit, the concern of the church as well. They're not thinking about themselves. The Spirit, which has united them around Jesus, it takes these values of following Jesus, of being Christians, and these beliefs, right, of hope, of forgiveness, of grace, of love, of self-sacrifice, and it burrows it deep down into their hearts, not just as individuals, but as a community, so that they come together to use that unity to bless others around them. I think that concern, you know, not just for themselves, not just to protect their friendships with each other, is uncommon to use that as a springboard to bless other people around them, right? And I think this is something we can always grow at as a church. But today, I do want to celebrate the fact that as a, you know, as a church, I feel like we have seen the Spirit tugging on our hearts to do this as well. And Julie talked about some of these things earlier today. I'm not going to go back into them too much uh, here. Uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this um, later on, I would encourage you to go back on our live stream and watch the call to worship. But one thing I want to highlight here is, again, from someone that I was talking to who's sharing me uh, some ways that she felt like she'd seen the Spirit move here as a church. She said that one of the things that comes to mind um, is the church-wide prayer night that we did following the murder of George Floyd making space to grieve and lament together, and also to call for justice, and then our further response to racial reconciliation as a church, starting with forming uh, these Be the Bridge groups that we ran for a while, and How to Fight Racism book club, forming our statement on racial reconciliation. At least for me, participation in all those things was prompted because I was deeply moved by the Spirit to take seriously the collective sin of our country's racial past and needing to understand what response followers of Jesus could have that stood apart from the typical worldly responses of either apathy or vengeance. I think when the Spirit moves, it creates in us a sensitivity and character that God doesn't want us to keep His Spirit and grace just for our personal benefit. It's supposed to spill out of us into the world around us. Now, does this mean that we're going to fix all the world's problems? No, not, not even close to that, right? I, we know we can't. We expect Jesus to be the one that ultimately mends all fences, redeems all things, okay? But I, we do have a genuine sensitivity, and typically you do see this among people at Red City that they want to help out where they can. Okay? And that idea of taking this beyond a, a good thing that we have going in our midst leads us to one last thing that we see at Antioch. Okay? The go piece, being sent. Okay? What we learned from Antioch, that God is calling us all to some purpose or vocation in his kingdom. And we see 
uh, a commissioning toward that in Antioch, right? Now, I read this a couple weeks ago. I want to go back to it again. It's in Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. Now, the church in, at the, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, okay? People that had kind of roles within the church to serve the church through the Spirit. Barnabas, again. Simeon called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manaen and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hand on them and sent them off. Okay, so as they're seeking out the Spirit, they're asking, what is, you know, how should we follow you, Lord? How should we continue to grow in this gift that you've given us of your Spirit? We see the Spirit sets apart some people for some specific work. Okay, to go into completely heretofore uncharted territory and to start making more Antioch-like churches throughout the, the rest of the Greco-Roman world. Okay, they did what the Spirit asked them, even though this would be tough. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you see the kind of stuff that Paul and Barnabas go through. It's not fun. Okay, it's a lot of discomfort. It's a lot of disruption that they're headed towards. But you see in them a legit desire to respond to the Spirit, knowing that even, you know, when the Spirit moves, sometimes the Spirit is going to ask you to step up and step out of your comfort zone. But you see a willingness for that to happen. Now, again, this is very innovative. It's very uncommon. And something else I think is really important to note, out, note is, is it's very collaborative, okay? This is the, the church kind of seeking the Spirit out together is commissioning these people to go out. It's not just like an individually discerned thing where someone discovers their purpose or calling and kind of, you know, sets out to make it happen on their own. It's something the whole church is having a conversation about. And they're, they're seeking the Spirit out together to see, you know, is this what God is calling us as a community to do? Okay, they're all responding to that together. Now, in kind of reflecting on this, like, I kind of, you know, I can see examples of this in my own life. It's like in kind of the way, you know, my story and how I came, you know, kind of we came to have Res City come about, at least for me personally, um, this is kind of the way that, that I felt it played out. Like I started to first be interested in the idea of church planting back in college. I felt that, that nudge by the spirit to plant and also kind of received like a pathway to kind of get there. But I always felt like impressed in me was also like, the idea, like, we got to make sure that this is something other people are seeing, too. Like, I don't want it to be just me. Um, and, and now that I look back on that, I think, I think that was the spirit in me. So that long story short, you know, that led me to hope um, our planting church to af- have them affirm that as well. Um, Julie was starting to have this conviction kind of around that time apart from me. And again, this, we, we saw people affirming her and encouraging her through the Spirit for that. And we actually went through a process where we had other uh, church planners or pastors in our denomination kind of affirm us. It's called assessment. But that was the goal, was to, to see if the Spirit is calling all of us towards this thing. And we as a church, we're kind of in the midst of something like that now, a similar type of commissioning. Julie brought up Andrea earlier. And, um, you know, hopefully in, in the next year is the, is the timeline here. Andrea is going to be heading over to Thailand. Now, when we get together and we all, you know, we lay hands on Andrea to commission her, I'm going to guess some, some hands might, you know, not want to let her go, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and, and that's because of that, that work of that unity that the Spirit has developed in our midst, right? But the Spirit also opens us up to it. The Spirit makes us comfortable because we are, uh, you know, in the service of a God who calls us to do uncomfortable things sometimes for his glory, for his purpose that the Spirit puts on our hearts, 
Now, I don't want this to, you know, seem like it just has to look like, you know, missions or, or church planting. I think we want to see the same thing happening in, in our own midst as well. We could think of it like a, like a soft commissioning, right? And so, I'm just telling you, if you feel like this, that God has put on your heart something for us as a church to do, you know, that you'd be willing to maybe lead or help even start, right? As a church, I think it's important for us to discern if that's actually true, right? Um, if, if, the, if the Spirit prompts you, like, be willing to say yes. Be willing to come talk to leadership about it. And if the Spirit's given you word, it's possible for us as a community, this is something for us to walk through, right? Don't, don't just sit on it. Let us talk about it. doesn't mean we're going to do it. It has to be a collaborative process where the Spirit is leading us all towards it, but it might start with you. And I'd like us to see, you know, that, those types of conversation happening. Now, there's lots of, as we kind of come to the close here of the sermon, there's lots of, you know, big picture takeaways we can maybe take from this, right? And Lord knows, like, we can continue to grow in all these areas and more as we continue to walk um, by the Spirit. And that's, that's part of the reason we're doing this series, okay? I don't want us to become complacent even as we sort of look back and celebrate and reflect, okay? But here's one small but I think actually really specific and important takeaway, that I'm asking you guys to do today, all right? It might not seem like a big deal, um, but I I think it actually really is, okay? So ways we can can cultivate sensitivity to the Spirit together as a church that we see in Antioch is just in the language that we use as we talk about, you know, what we see God doing as we celebrate what God has done in our midst. I recently read a a, a thought piece on the Slate website titled, can language influence our perception of reality? And it kind of relies on the work of an associate professor of cognitive science at UC San Diego named Lara Boroditsky. And the big idea of it is that uh, the language we use about a situation influences how we think about it and how we move forward from it. Okay, so she gives a couple examples. So let's say we're talking about an economy that's not doing very well. Let's imagine we, we use... We use one of two words to describe it. Other we used, we called it a stalled economy or an ailing economy. All right, think about the difference between those two words. She says, the word stalled implies we need a quick, we need a, a quick solution. We know what it means to jumpstart a car. We know that a short-term infusion of energy will help get everything resorted back to normal. Okay, when we use that analogy, we're implying that a short-term financial stimulus will help us get the economy going again. All right. On the other hand, when the economy is ailing, like a sick patient, it requires constant long-term care. Okay? The difference is crucial, and we sort of uh, choose how we're going to treat a situation by what language we use to describe it. All right? She gives another example. Consider a city with a high crime rate. Is crime a beast or is crime a virus? Right? In the beast case, people say, bring in more police, bring in harsher jail sentences, the kinds of things that you would imagine doing for a real beast. Put out a hunting party and cage and kill it. All right? Whereas a virus, people come up with more preventative solutions. You diagnose the root cause of the problem, you inoculate the population, you improve education, you deal with economic problems in the community so people are not as susceptible to this virus that can come on of crime, right? So what we're seeing here and through these examples is the language that we use sort of influences our future actions, okay? That's the big idea. Now in Antioch, you see that they talk about what's happening as the spirit moving, right? They recognize that what's taking place and they sort of play that off, pay that off in how they talk about it, right? They have special language 
to indicate that what's happening in their midst is uncommon. And that language is of saying the spirit has been moving, the God is calling us to these things, right? You can imagine that if someone saw these sort of uncommon things happen, things that they thought about celebrating, that they were bringing it back to the work of the spirit, right? And that in turn gave them joy to know that something uncommon was going on, made them rely on God for the good that had happened in their midst. It made them seek the spirit out more as they experienced future problems. It made them uh, continue to seek out uncommon things, believing the spirit is what caused uncommon things to happen in their midst. If we believe that the spirit has been with us, And four years in, you know, we're pointing out these different things we want to celebrate, these uncommon things that we are proud of that have happened in our midst. I want us to talk like we believe it's been the spirit that's been doing that, right? I'm not sure we're always great at that. I I recognize I am not great at that. I don't always give credit in my language to the spirit in what I celebrate. And I actually really want to be more intentional to that because I truly believe that's going to make me more uh, more, uh, sensitive that's going to help to cultivate this sensitivity to the spirit that this whole series that we're doing is about. As we celebrate today, we can frame what we've discussed in, in multiple ways, right? And how we do will influence how we move forward, right? So we could say, we could look at some of these things we talked about today, like our unity that we, we find so special here. And we can say, man, we're really lucky, we're lucky we persevered through COVID without any division. We've got some strong unity, right? If we use that kind of language, we're attributing that to chance. We're just kind of saying we avoided, you know, we dodged a bullet that hit a lot of other people in that time. And, we, and, and so when we look at the future and what we'll encounter as a church, we're going to keep, you know, we're going to cross our fingers and hope the same thing happens, you know, instead of instinctively seeking out the Spirit being sensitive to the work that God has has done in our midst and is continuing to do. Now, I understand, you know, why we don't do this sometimes, right? It sounds really Christian-y sometimes to talk like that. Um, and, 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 And maybe a little bit arrogant to do as well. And so I think we do need to be humble and thoughtful and not lazy in how we use that language. But I think if we refrain from ever using it, we're, that's gonna shape the reality of what we see going on here and how we move forward. Because if we say, Boy, the spirit really worked in our midst to, tr- to produce this true unity, true servant hearts and love, a desire for us to follow after Jesus. That's going to interpret the reality of what we're celebrating in our minds. It's going to train us to walk by the spirit and rely on God's power and presence in the future so that we continue to expect uncommon things in our midst. And I think we all want that. I think that's a desire that we all have. So I'm asking you to do that as we celebrate today and as we sort of look back and then think about what it looks like for us to also look forward. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to enter into a a time of worship. Um, As always, we'll have communion. Um, Please come and take communion up front here. Um, You don't have to be a regular, you don't have to be a member here at Res City or even a regular tender. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. You consider yourself a Christian, um, because this is where we come together to remember uh, the one whose body and blood uh, were, were shed and broken for us so that we might be united to him and also to each other. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you, your spirit has been in our midst, and we get to, to look back periodically and really just 
alert ourselves to that and to be filled with the joy and wonder of your spirit, doing things that we truly believe are uncommon and we're thankful for. We know we're not perfect, God. We know that we still fail in a lot of ways. We know that there are things that we can constantly and always be growing in, God. And so I pray that you would help us to to see those areas and give us a a willingness to continue to grow in them. Um, But Lord, on today at least, help us to celebrate what you've done, that we may worship you deeply and in truth so that we may be people who continue to seek out your spirit and to see you work in our midst um, for the next four years and Lord willing, the next 40 years, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.